0: Good morning. As uh, Robert mentioned, we're returning and resuming to our series that we started beginning of this year—reflections um, in Psalms and Proverbs. We'll probably uh, end with as of today, and the next Sunday is a Palm Sunday, and the following Sunday is Easter Sunday, and after the first Sunday after Easter Sunday we will uh, begin a new journey in 1 Corinthians um, and that's going to be fun because uh the nickname for the 1 Corinthians would be uh Paul's letter to the Californians <laughs> very similar in in that but today um we're returning to s- Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of those seven great penitential psalms. And, and this psalm is uh, obviously David's psalm. And it's, it's about restoring a guilt-ridden heart. So speaking of guilt, everyone has a guilt problem. A psychologist tells us that uh, if the people can be really forgiven, many of our mental, psychological dysfunctions and uh, the problems will be gone. Many of them will be healed. The problem is that we don't really know how. And this psalm is not only David's personal penitential psalm, but it is a wisdom psalm that teaches us how to return back to God in true repentance. In preparing for this study, I I find out, um, read about this story, Uh, a person uh, wrote to IRS a letter, well-meaning letter, and he said, Dear Sirs, for over one year I haven't been able to sleep because basically I manufacture some wrong information, a text report. So I'm enclosing a check of $100, $150. And if I can still slip, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) So we might deal with that kind of superficial way of dealing with guilt. But we need to know The way of cross, whenever we think about our vision also too, it seems so excruciatingly painful and unpleasant. It's almost dreading ourselves to go through that. How do you really die to self? How how do you go through this pain and suffering if I am humbling myself before God? The lie of the evil one is this. Oh, it's better for you to stay on this side of the cross. Now, don't go to the way of the cross. That, that's too much suffering. But if the Holy Spirit, my prayer to this morning is that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of our heart. That on the other side of the cross, there's so much peace, so much joy that we can't even imagine on this side of the cross. So I'm praying that you'll put your guard down. And in some sense, I'm praying also to some of you to keep your attentiveness on this message. What I'm saying is, if you are thinking that this is for the people who did something wrong, I've been doing really well in my life, and you are the one who needs it most. Before we get into that, text itself, and there's a subscription, I mean the prescription of that, the heading of the psalm, gives a little bit of information what the psalm is about and the context in which David, King David wrote the psalm. Let's get a little fuller picture of the background story. The first one is beautiful. Bathsheba. On a lazy afternoon, king got up from his couch and uh, usually the king's house was at the highest ground of the uh, Jerusalem. So he had an overview of, of, of everything. And here's a young beautiful woman bathing. So if we pay attention to the Scripture, David didn't play dumb and said, oh, just bring her, because I'm king. Let's not find out who she is. Actually, he did find out. He did find out that Bathsheba was the wife of his hero, one of his heroes, the warrior Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. But he commanded his servants to bring her anyway. And slept with her. And this was a war time, though everyone, including Uriah, was in the battlefield. I don't know what went on. Maybe he pushed it away. Nobody will know. Except my servants. And you know, I'm the king anyway. But all of a sudden, he heard the news from Bathsheba, I am pregnant. So this is how sin usually begins. Sin spins the will of Snowball so much so that you go way further than you ever intended. a um, so naive, but oh, we just got to cover it up. The Uriah, the the Hittite, cover up plan one. Call him from the battlefield. General Joab, send him back. And he came in and said, uh, he asked some questions about how the war is going with the Ammonites and basically chit-chatting a little bit and then send him home. And he's easy Solution was, he goes home, sleeps with his wife and then nobody will find out. Nobody will question whose baby that is. But Uriah was a soldier, warrior whose heart was loyal and faithful and whose integrity was held up high. He basically refused to go home thinking that his his general, his commanding officer Joab and his entire Judah was entire Israelites were out there fighting in the battle I cannot the soldiers mentality is they don't even take off the armor they don't sleep on the bed they sleep on the wall so David had a problem so called him in, why don't you go in? and you're right, I explained why not? And he goes, "Oh, so stay here tonight, and tomorrow I'll send you back to Joab, the battlefield and that night, attempt number two was, let's have a little drink and continually make him drink and he got drunk, he did get drunk, but instead of going home, he stayed. with his soldiers there. So it didn't work. The second cover of plan was a letter to General Joab. The sad and unfortunate thing is that letter which command Joab to take Uriah all the way to the front and withdraw without him so that he could get killed. That letter was carried by Uriah himself. So it did work, or did it? He was killed. Bathsheba became his wife. Everything is hunky-dory. No, not really. There's another psalm, Psalm 32, verse 3. Kind of gives us a glimpse of what went on in his heart. He said, when I kept silent... About my sin. My bones were crushing inside of me. Drying up inside of me. Because of guilt. In Psalm 51 and 32 also too. He makes his confession. He returns back to God. Because. The reason why. The trigger point was that is. The story all this story is in 2 Samuel in chapter 11 and 12. At the end of 27, we might glimpse over, pass by really fast. There's a one sentence. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So what does the Lord do? What does God do? Send sent his prophet Nathan. And then Nathan, with the wisdom of God and anointing of the Spirit, he used this story. And his famous word, you are the man, came out of this. So we pick up this story and let's actually listen to Nathan directly ourselves. Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there are two men in a certain city. The one There came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives... The man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan then said to David, with a bony finger, you are the man. David is, was also called as a, a man after God's own heart. That character, in fact, has actually emerged out of that. Instead of defending, and Nathan could have been killed right there. But he said, I have sinned against God. And Psalm 51 was written after that as a, his penitential psalm. Can you believe it? Um, it was like a, only last week or so, we started this Lent season, but we have only two weeks ahead of us. The coming Sunday will be the Palm Sunday, and the following Sunday, the following week, would be the Passion Week or Holy Week, leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So two weeks. What was the purpose of the Lent? Return to God. Return back to God in our hearts. And some of you might think that, oh, I, I think I prayed a little bit of a, I'm sorry, God, for this and that, and I'm done with. Actually, the the season of Lent is. To dwell on the depravity of our own sin in, within our hearts, then continually cultivate that repentant heart, that we return to God, or return our hearts to God. So we're gonna actually get wisdom from that. Now, practically speaking, some of you, you're spiritually dry. And you open your Bible and it doesn't do much any, anything anything anymore. The worship songs or gospel songs used to be like a love song for you, but now it's so mundane to you. Your heart doesn't work anymore. Doesn't respond to God anymore. Doesn't thirst or hunger for God anymore. You As well as I need the restoration, renewal of our spirit. and There are four things as we return back to God that David actually helps us in his own repentance and confession. That how we can also find our way back to God. Here's the first one. Come clean about your sin, sin, leaning hard on God's covenantal love and mercy for you. We don't know exactly how many weeks, how many months. Um, from the time of the incident, to Nathan's confrontation baby was not born yet um, so you know Nathan actually God has lifted you shall not die but because of your sin the sword will never end in your, in your household so he gets actually the glimpse of the ramification of that sin and then your son your baby will die so he fast for that and you know what not but basically until then he couldn't he didn't come clean the first principle that we need to really realize is we need to come clean fully about our sin re- leaning, leaning hard on God's covenantal love and mercy for you Chuck Colson in Loving God one of his uh, books early books in Loving God he writes if there's anything worse than our sins it is our infinite capacity to rationalize it away. Do you remember Charles Colson Chuck Colson one of the the architect and the people who are behind this Watergate scandal. He was the council, right-hand man counsel With Richard Nixon. And he went to the prison. Because of this rationalization. And because. Of God's mercy. He became a Christian. Christ follower. And now he became. A a front forerunner. For the prison fellowship. That he started. And making a tremendous impact. But he does know. About this rationalization. Of that entire. Thing. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into the Psalm 51 verse one. Have mercy on me, O God. Coming clean? What do we usually say if we don't come clean? Wait, wait, you gotta listen to me about this, how it all happened. No? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. According to my past record, according to how good I've been most of the time, no, it was absolutely on the part of God's character. According to your steadfast love, according to abundant, overflowing mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment notice the justification that he is in, in, interested is not that so that I may be justified no, actually, God, you may be justified in your words, in your judgment against me. If we don't come clean, what ends up happening is we end up looking at other sins very well, but some are blurry about our sins. I was passionate, I was just indignant about the situation. Oh, he lost temper. He just has a really lousy temper. Same thing. I'm I'm very analytical. He is judgmental. So even even you know to rationalizing our sins also too. I wasn't doing well. I, I was not in the right mind. And I I, I usually am much better than this, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So returning to God, returning back to God in true repentance begins with coming clean fully. Notice how many words for sin that he uses rather than mistakes or mishaps or little misstep. He calls my sin, my iniquity. The Iniquity embraces the idea of immoral, a failure from doing things right in an ethical sense. My transgression, this is a rebellion against government, against God. What is evil in your side? What is evil in God's side? And he's naming all these things without rationalization. There's one thing that David had in approaching God and coming clean fully without any fear. Because the basis upon which he asks for forgiveness and pleading for mercy is not on him, but on God's character. The steadfast love in Hebrew word is hesed. The hesed has a concept of covenantal, two-party involved, and the strength of the keep, covenant keeper and the tenderness of it it's combined. Loving kindness. Other translations calls it. And one writer, one writer calls, Never let me go, love. He knew that. God will never let me go. According to your, Never let me go, love. And according to your, Just a little bit of mercy. Abundant mercy. And I would call it, Never run dry mercy. So people of God, this is the way to return back to God. Not explaining ourselves. Not even doing analysis of our situations and circumstances and upbringings and even naming our, our dysfunctional family background, mom and dad's influence, etc., etc. We come clean to God pleading for God's mercy, leaning hard on God's attribute. Number two, in order to return back to God, to restore guilt-ridden heart, we need to confess our sin, sinful heart to God without justifying or defending ourselves. Verse five, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did mother, my mother conceive me. Behold, you, you delight in the truth, in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the sacred heart. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. As much as he had come clean and named his iniquity, sin, transgression, what is evil in your sight, he is naming what God can do on every single aspect of it. Purge me with up. Hyssop was a, the plant that Israelites used even in um, the, the ceremony that used, the priests will use to dip it in blood and they use it as a brush, like a spongy-like plant. Purge me, cleanse me, and wash me, Blood out. Think about it. It's not white out, Right? Blot out means expunge. It's not just a seven, year it's a four, year, three years, how long does it have to be, in driver's record, right? So you have a speeding ticket, after three years it's gone. But it's, it's not really gone. But when you think about criminal record, that you have, your drunk in your college days, and you went kind of wild and burgeoned into somebody's house, and you got caught, and you have a little record. Everywhere everywhere you go the record is there and then there's a post say expunge your criminal record. So we might talk to the lawyer and pay a lot of money for that. But we're talking about God blotting out, expunge his remembrance of our sin. Here's another psalm, Psalm 103. This is what God can do, God will do for you and me when we come to God, come clean about our sin and pleading on God's mercy and leaning hard on his compassion and loving kindness and mercy for us. As far as east is west, I have removed your sin. And Corey Tenbum said, uh, God dropped you, drop your sins in the middle of ocean and put a post on no fishing. There. You see, here's the part that I think we all need to embrace. This is at the core of our vision. What does it mean to choose the way of the cross as our way? To choose this humility as a way of life. Seeing our utter depth of depravity, wickedness in our hearts. When David said, in, in sin, um, my, mom, my, mom, my mother bore me, it's not like a, his mother was doing something evil at the time of... And some, some clueless, uh, out of whack people would write commentaries on and this as a... Uh, maybe this was a... The sexual intercourse was evil. No! What he meant is that he was born into the human race that has a sinful nature because of original sin, and what of Adam and Eve did. sin came into our lives. You all, most of you have children and have seen your children growing up a certain age, right? Do you ever teach them how to sin? You know how creative, how well-equipped they are to sin? Even for us. The creativity. Of how we could sin. And rationalize and cover up. Is incredible. So here's the part. That we need to embrace. It's not because David did. Horrific things. He did horrific things. That he felt guilty. And that he's a sinner. He became declared a sinner. It's more so that his heart. His original source of his sin was within heart. And he didn't watch over it. He didn't guard his heart. In Jesus' word, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. I came to redeem the sinners. The Pharisees and scribes and the religious leaders acted like there were no sinners. No forgiveness is needed. And Jesus basically said, healthy person, not because they are truly healthy, but because they have no ability to admit their sickness within us within them in the same way when we are repentant and turning back to God we're repenting our sinful heart our sinful nature to God I cannot do this if iniquity is moral failure if transgression is rebellion against God and what is evil against God it's very apparent. But what is sin? We all learned that in our home group training, didn't we? Sin is, simply put, falling short of God's glory, God's standard. Every single one of us falls short. And if we think that we are somehow any better, just because on the surface, on our external level, We have not committed crimes or unethical things that doesn't make us a righteous heart. The righteousness comes from Christ. Death and resurrection of Christ is for people like you and me. All have sinned and fall short of glory of God. I need to make a confession to you. I have a best intention for you, as a pastor. But in my private life, in my best intention life, most godly moment, if you can get a camera on my motive, I'm going to look for a hole. Because I am most disgusted not when I am drifting away from God. But when I am, when I have best intention, because I see Pharisees in, in me, the wickedness, the depth of depravity in me, I feel disgusted by me. And in that conviction, in that bright darkness, I'm, I feel so thankful for God. Because my desperation, my need for God, my pleading for God's mercy is utterly de- desperate. A broken and contrite heart, you will not despise. You are not pleased with animal sacrifice. So when you are sitting here, you've been such dutiful people, such a good Christian on the external level. And even, even, you've been consistent with your quiet time and devotion and Bible reading, giving to cause and to church. But if your heart is numb, if you don't have ongoing joy and intimacy with God, your Abba. You need restoration. You need to come clean. And ask for God's mercy, for, it all your, for on your self sufficiency, self righteousness. God. Redeems and cleanses only sinners, sinners who are desperate, sinners who give up defending himself or herself, sinners who just throws away justifying logics and analysis and evidences. When we give that up, when we surrender that, God begins to defend for ourselves. For our, our, our hearts, our souls. If God, is against, if God is for us, who can be against us? Apostle Paul is preaching his heart out in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of the freedom has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I pray for God's mercy on those of you who don't feel the need and desperation for God. And my prayer for you is that the the eyes of your heart would be open to your depravity. And then when you begin to see the joy on the other side of the cross again. Number three, in returning back to God to restore a guilt-ridden heart, we need to ask God to do what we cannot do ourselves, which is redemption from our sins and restoration of our heart. Verse ten. It gets more better, I mean more hopeful and better. Created me created in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing... Allowed of your righteousness. You know when we sing. The created in me. A clean heart. Oh God. Is it directly from this psalm. Do you know that. Create in me. The word create. Hebrew word. Is the same word in. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. So what, it, what does it mean? This is the um, antithesis of what the culture, the secular pop culture is teaching us. Self-help. Self-improvement. We cannot improve our heart to restore a a guilt-driven, guilt-ridden heart. We need God's creating power to make our heart anew. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of God the Almighty and Creator for us. So when we begin to see that with our depravity and our sinful heart the source of our sinful deeds we cling to God and surrender our heart and we begin to realize in giving up and in denying ourselves in dying to ourselves actually there is a freedom. The real life. Real joy. But if you surrender all the rights and surrender your heart to God, God will begin to make your heart renew, deliver you from blood guilt. Doesn't it sound like this is like a New Testament gospel? Although it's in the smack of Old Testament, the blood guiltness, the kind of the people who are uh, Criticizing Christianity is a bloody Christianity, bloody religion. Why? Because of the animal sacrifice symbolized and and foreshadowed the work of the Spirit, a work of Christ on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took, he bore every single one of our sin, past, present, and future sin, and he died on the cross. And That blood was once for all. But the annual sacrifice wasn't wasn't once for all. They had to renew it every year. The blood guiltness. Do you know that? When you come clean and come on the basis of God's mercy for you, trusting by faith in Christ's blood that you will be washed away, that your sins will be washed away, this is grace, unmerited favor of God. To Sounds too good to be true? Listen to this. This is the gospel of Christ. Many of you kind of remembered uh, I could have done better in my marriage, in my work, in my uh, personal life. There are so many things I didn't like of what I did, and I have regrets, etc., etc. I could be a better mom, better dad, and or not. Above all, I could be a better Christian. But you can never work your way up and reach the glory of God. You fall short. That's why you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And the good news is that when you surrender your heart, when you, when you invite the Holy Spirit to take the throne of your life, so to speak. Even this morning, before you go out, God can restore your heart and deliver you and free you from the the sin. One last principle. In returning back to God, To restore a guilt ridden heart, we are to praise the Lord with a broken and contrite heart, interceding for those who were affected by our sins. Verse 15, O Lord, open your lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Do you see that? David's secret approaching God was having this c- broken, contrite heart. That's absolutely different from the guilt driven, a guilt ridden, uh, fearful heart. This is the wisdom of David. A broken, contrite heart is humble, depend on God, Uh, relinquish self-defense, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, and easily led by God's guidance, Spirit's leading. That's what we need. But whenever we do something consistently better about whether we church attendance or quiet time or, or even some ethical way of doing things. What ends up happening is we become slowly not broken, whole, you know, we look good in our own eyes. Or We make mistakes because you are not perfect. So in terms of our language of coming clean, God, if I did anything wrong past week, I did my best try. But if I have anything that displeases you, I'm sorry. That's almost like saying there might be a slight probability that I might have done something wrong. And not to mention with God, we do the same way with our relational relationships. And husbands and wives and and our friendships and community, we end up doing the same thing. So would you see this wisdom? There is a river flowing, rivers of mercy and God's mercy, God's peace. River like joy, joy like a fountain, love like an ocean is available for us this morning by grace. If we surrender to God. If we trust in Jesus' blood. Will you do that? In summary, the full restoration, the reason why all of a sudden David begins to pray for Zion. Zion is basically Jerusalem. Jerusalem basically means God's community, Israelites. As a king he felt responsible for his failure his sins affected his people So they're affected by his sin and he's actually interceding God have mercy on us and restore us In the same way when we when we really come clean our repentance is full and true we are going to make amends and we are going to pray for restoration of our family and our church our city and our nation William Hislop summarizes Psalm 51 this way and it's beautiful and it helps us to remember the whole psalm this way he calls a tenfold cry for a broken and contrite heart. Number one, have mercy upon me. Number two, blot out my transgressions. Number three, wash me thoroughly. Number four, cleanse me. Number five, purge me. Number six, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Number seven, create in me a clean heart. Number eight, renew a right spirit within me. Number nine, restore unto me the joy of salvation. Number ten, uphold me and I will teach the transgressors and sinners. My prayer for every single one of us, that we will approach each morning, each day, differently in the the coming two weeks of the rest of the Lent season, Lenten season would you return back to God and giving up your rights for self-defense and self-righteousness self-justification God my sin ultimately is against you you are the one I'm offending Whenever I sin. That's what King David's confession. When he even makes it even blatantly. You and you only have I sinned. And did you realize that? There is a word. So that. That you may be justified. God. As I'm surrendering. And I see that. Your glory and your justification really happens in my surrender, my submission to your your will. Today is a communion Sunday. What a marvelous opportunity and coincidence. So as we prepare our hearts, let us return back to God in full repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm and thank you for David's uh, wisdom in teaching us to how to return back to God. We pray for each person in this room and every single one of the Crossway family members that you will show us your mercy and reveal the things that are within our hearts, so that we may embrace our broken and contrite spirit before you. We praise you because your gospel is so good to us, and you are a merciful God, an amazing love you have for us. Increase our faith this morning so that we may surrender. And surrender fully to you. In Jesus name. Amen.